I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. It's out! The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga is now available everywhere books are sold. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive practice to yoga. It's available on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Welcome back, everyone. I have such an exciting, dynamic, just quick-witted, sharp, uh, beautiful soul for you today, Reggie Hubbard. Reggie Hubbard, an interview with me on Prince's birthday, as you'll hear, which was very significant. He was straight back from teaching a beautiful course, a refuge course at Kripalu, really focused on being a refuge uh, space for Black men, but also, I think, open to lots of identities, and I wanted to have him on. As you know, I'll be headed to Kripalu June 30th to July 2nd, teaching a weekend workshop there on embodied practices for healing trauma, traumatic stress, and secondary trauma. So I hope to see you there on the beautiful campus, which we talk about a little bit in this episode. Um, We also talk about um, politics, that's Reggie's background, and sound, right? Like language and how negative language can harm us and how healing uh, can happen with through vibration and how that works, balance in our yoga practice, balance in general, and keeping it real in the yoga room. This is a really fun episode. Reggie is the founder and chief serving officer of Active Peace Yoga. His yoga and meditation practice have served as a sanctuary of peace and perspective while navigating the stresses of being a black man in the world, serving in pressure-filled jobs at the height of politics, and have helped to navigate complicated emotions like anger, grief, and disappointment to find and nurture peace of mind and ease of spirit. Reggie shares his practice and service to helping people navigate this thing called life with more creativity, authenticity, peace, and ease. He has extensively studied with leading teachers in yogic, meditative, and dharmic disciplines, while also remembering that the best teacher is an internal student. Yes, we talk a lot about the eight limbs of yoga and not just asana. He's a graduate of the MMTCP, Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program, 2023 cohort, and is always seeking new ways of sharing ancient wisdom to modern audiences. Through Active Peace Yoga, he offers asana and meditation classes to help others nurture peace of mind, creativity, equanimity in spirit and physical health, helping people nurture well-being as foundational rather than as an afterthought. 
Reggie has taught members of Congress, congressional staff, major labor unions, leading progressive organizations about and individuals from all walks of life, simple tools for managing stress and bringing peace to mind, body, and spirit. Active Peace also offers strategic guidance on creating healthier cultures and organizational norms rooted in well-being, compassion, and results. We need that. In addition to his teaching practice, Reggie has held many senior strategic and logistical roles across a variety of fields, ranging from global marketing, digital and community organizing, government relations, international education, to presidential campaigning. He's a featured speaker on politics, strategy, well-being, social justice, and civic engagement for leading publications, podcasts, and platforms, including Here to Be Now Network, The Hill, Mind and Life Institute, Sedona Yoga Festival, Sounds True Foundation, Upaya Zen Center, Wanderlust, The Wellbeing Project, Yoga Alliance, Yoga International, and Yoga Journal. He is out there, folks, and you'll hear just why he's captivating. Reggie's life work sits at the intersection of bringing more peace and balance to activists, guiding the wellness community toward being more engaged, right? Waking up and doing that non-harm by interrupting harm, concerned citizens and enhancing the well-being of all walks of life. Achieving this balance is how we catalyze transformative change in our society, which we are desperately in need of at this moment. He's passionate about justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, normalizing grief and loss, and sharing healing rituals with marginalized communities to enhance our collective well-being. He has a BA in philosophy from Yale University and an MBA in international strategy from the Vlerk Business School in Belgium. So very, very interesting. Find more about him at activepeaceyoga.com, also in the show notes. You are going to love this. Here we here we go. Reggie, I am so happy that you're here today. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time. You're a busy guy in all the best ways. And um, I'm glad we worked it out for today. And actually, we have to start by sharing what day we're recording this on. Yeah, thank you for that. Happy birthday, <laughs> Prince. Prince would have been 65 uh, years old today in the earthly incarnation. And uh, when you were like, what date's available? I was like, you doing anything on the 7th? <laughs> right? Because the first public yoga class, asana class I ever taught was on Prince's birthday. My uh, 200-hour teacher uh, was Faith Hunter. And Faith was like, Reggie, we want you to teach our, your first public offering in three days or so. And I was like, that's June 7th. Like, June 7th. Faith, you want me to teach on Prince's birthday? <laughs> like, like, with no notice? Like, and so basically... <laughs> You know, every 200-hour teacher has their little nice little boring flow. I mean, just just to check all the boxes or whatever. Yeah. I went home and got into, like, my bag of songs and just, just did this whole curated 75-minute thing with Prince. And everyone's like, where'd that come from? I was like, I'm a Prince disciple, man. Like, I can't mm-hmm. not, like, I'm teaching on Prince's birthday. It's got to be lit. In that spirit, let's have a lit conversation. Oh, you know, I know we will. I know we will. And um, I love that Prince is a, that you're his disciple and he's a spiritual teacher for you. And his music is very powerful and healing for me as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what came to my mind just now? Do you know DJ D-Nice? Do you know of him? I know of him for sure. You You two need to get together. He was spinning for the Apollo fundraiser some years back that I was Whew, blessed enough to attend. That was magical. Mm. And he did a whole Prince set. He just mm. played Prince the whole time. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. No one left the dance floor. 
um, I could see you two working together. That would be off the chain because he's a healer you, too. Yeah, it's funny that you say it that way because um, one of the things that I've been interested in doing is working with DJs. Oh, okay. Right. So like using asana practice and the healing through music to just really open this stuff up. Right. So um, I taught Prince class at the Sedona Yoga Festival with a DJ for the first time this year. And it was ridiculous. Like there were a hundred people. They're like, what was that? I was like, I just told the DJ the notes I wanted to hit. I don't tell a DJ how to DJ. He doesn't tell me how to teach. Right. So yes. like, so the, the, the synth and the DJ was like, thank you so much for trusting me. I was like, thank you for giving me the space to create. So it was just a beautiful experience. And, you know, one of my revolutions as a teacher, no Prince pun intended, one of my revolutions, but one mm. of my revolutions as a teacher is to try and convince people to teach in ways that incorporate soul and are less robotic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, once you learn, then do your own thing with it that's real. Absolutely. And that's what you bring to it. That's why, you know, you're so magnetic and so many people are attracted to you. So I want to I come back around to music yeah. and sound and the healing nature of that because it's very, it's, I, I anticipate that's going to be a very important part of our conversation. Yeah. But I want to backtrack a little bit to the beginning of your story and where you come from and maybe discuss political speech, right? So if we're saying that sound and speech, right, have a vibration that can heal, the other side of that potentially is harm. Right. Um, and so I'd love for you to share with folks sort of your past life First, a little bit about that, and then maybe we can get into some insights about what's happening in the political world. And because yeah. I have a feeling there's like there's trauma, even like from the oppressor side, and there's definitely I think the the people are in a trauma state from fear, um, yeah. from what's so, happening in politics that's often behind a closed door, and you have been inside that door <laughs> way too often. First of all, um, I have a unique history uh, in general, but my first job ever, ever after college, I was a roadie for a jazz band. So sound and sound acoustics and the rendering of sound for other people has been part of my story for a while. And I, you know, I used to play saxophone as a kid, violin, and have always been drawn to music. Um, and so when I found out of the discipline of yoga called Nada Yoga, I'm like, yes, but like, we'll talk more about that. Then after working for a software company for a while, I joined the protest movement against the Iraq war mm-hmm. in 2003, 2004, which ultimately, ultimately led to my joining the John Kerry for president campaign and working diligently uh, to bring John Kerry into the office and get George Bush out of office, which didn't really go the way we had planned. But it showed me how quickly one, when one is inclined to make change, how quickly one person can do it because I went from the mailroom quite literally in March of the campaign to by July helping run logistics for the vice presidential campaign. So on, on the plane with Edwards, John and Elizabeth and their kids and working with the secret service to do load and unload. I went from that in like you know, about three months from wow. like paper, paper cuts to Huff and Jeff fuel. Right. And so that for me showed me that when spirit it's when it's your time, like you can get to places, right? So one of the things that I've learned over the course of my spiritual practice is just because something doesn't work out isn't necessarily attributable to like someone's malice or racism, right? It just may not be for you because conversely, I've only been quote unquote on the scene in the teaching world for three years and I'm everywhere in yogic and dharmic spaces. So 
political uh, work, been in and out of that frame for since 2004, and uh, have been in rooms where impeachment strategy was being hatched, or whether or we should invest in this race to get this outcome. Um, I still do a little bit of consulting work um, to help a nonprofit that wants to change the narrative around uh, crime and public safety, which is usually used as a dog whistle to remind America of its racism. I was like, aren't you scared? As opposed to like finding solutions. So I have a unique mix of like political understanding, sound, musical, and travel. Um, so it, it, it all blends well in my current mix of life. But yeah, politics, especially until 2021, was the majority of the way. Politics and international education and music are like the three careers I have before doing yoga and meditation stuff. And I know you've brought some healing practices to your friends in the yeah. political space. I know you had some... Sometimes kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like people will do anything for you, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know because it helped you when you were yeah. having some real burnout, right? Big time. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it that way because I think I was working... so. A little bit about my yoga story. Um, I didn't practice yoga to be enlightened. I practiced yoga. I began practicing yoga asana to not curse out my boss. You know, very, very truly. And that's when my I, I, when I developed an aggressive asana sadhana practice, like six days a week, twice a day, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And what and I, I talked about this recently. What I didn't realize what was happening is that not only was it the transmutation of a very psychologically traumatic situation. It was like creating space in my mind, body, and spirit to release. Uh, so when it was time to go, I got fired via text message from that job. Grace and compassion arose for the people who fired me via text message. And I didn't really know that that's what all this was about, right? Because they asked me for it. They treated me like garbage for seven months and then asked me to be on an exit interview after they fired me via text message. <laughs> and I'm from the East Coast. I'm just like, yo... You effing serious? Like, whatever. Like, that was my internal monologue. But when I opened my mouth, East Coast Reggie didn't come out. What ha what came out, Larry, was like, uh, yeah, thank you for the opportunity for the exit interview. But y'all know good and hell well we don't need that. I want to thank you, though. They're like, for what? I want to thank you for how poorly you treated me because you gave me the discipline to deal, to yield in wisdom to deal with adversity with grace. And then I called my mom and my aunt afterwards and was like, how am I going to fake somebody or fire me via text message? It just jumped out of my mouth. <laughs> and so yeah. little yeah. did I know that that 10 months of aggressive sadhana was the predicate that allowed me to see that when I'm doing this political work in the Trump resistance era, I did my 200 and 300 and um, like other 400. I basically did 750 hours of yoga teacher training while flipping the house, while helping pass Amendment 4 in Florida, while impeaching the MF, like all that stuff. Because I learned in that initial encounter with Yoga Asana that it's the best return on investment. So like you investing in me, investing in deeper wisdom practice, like yielded these things that were just almost mythical in terms of like my ability to handle stress, my ability to like influence situations through wisdom bombs or whatever. And <laughs> Me learning early on that the more you invest in this practice, the, the deeper it will yield has helped not only helped me, but it's helped tens of thousands of people. That is so important. And I really appreciate you saying that, you know, and, and I hope people are hearing that, that are like yoga, curious, not sure, 
it, you know, it's not for me and all that stuff because it's, it is that powerful. There are a lot of people that are in bad work situations right now where even if you can't get out of it, you, you know, even while you were still in it, you found a way to at least have more capacity for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cause people struggle under ma- manipulative bosses, you All know, oppressive work environments. Um, you know, there's some, some jobs people are in where they're counting your clicks on the, I can't even imagine, you know, like where they're like watching you big brother, you know, how many breaks you take for the bathroom, like crazy mm. stuff is going on and people need an outlet. And the other thing you said that's that's really powerful is you found like your voice through the practice. Absolutely. That is a benefit of yoga that I actually wrote about in my book, but I don't hear people talk about as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like maybe your channel kind of open and you're, you were able to resonate, like your words were able to resonate and come out with love, but also with like biting truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing about that, and it's definitely helped my activist practice is that, um, and even my teaching practice to some extent, because like people are like, you're on fire. I was like, yeah, but the thing about my yoga training and the discipline practice that I hold is that like, it's chakrally aligned, right? So I'm grounded, creative. The heat comes from the abdomen, but it passes through the heart before it hits the voice. Mm. Yes. Right. Yes. And so the synthesis and then where it meets the voice is my meditation practice allows me to be open to the supreme and then filter wisdom. And so heartfelt energy, fire in the belly meets heart energy at the throat, but so does wisdom and divine guidance, right? Mm -hmm. And and so like that synthesis of alignment allows you to say things with love. And, you know, like sometimes uh, I I recently, um, I taught a module on beginner's mind at a recent yoga festival. And I walked into the room and you'll appreciate this, especially because you're from New York, so you get it. I walked in and this is out west. I was like, look here, y'all. Like, y'all ain't never had a teacher like me before in the world. So let's just put that out there. I'm from the East Coast. I don't subscribe to that goddess. I'm better than you. I don't subscribe to that. And like I teach hard truth from a loving place. If that is not your cup of tea, then your favorite letters in the English language are EXIT. You can leave right now and I will not hold that against you. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and some people were like, and, but then other people were like, that's a breath of fresh air. I was like, listen, this is how I'm coming in. It's rooted in like all yogic philosophy. So it's such so truth, but it's also like truth rooted in service, right? So I'm not, I'm not here to offend nobody, but if you come into this space under an, an appropriative philosophical posture, I majored in philosophy at Yale. So we don't do that, right? Like you don't, you won't out philosophy me. You won't out politic me. So let's just have a conversation from the heart. Yeah. And that gift, it was a beautiful class. And then so many people thanked me afterwards for that gift. And the other thing I'll mention is that my teaching practice was born in the pandemic when everyone's stuck at home and like everything's falling apart. Like that's, And then they killed George Floyd a month after I started teaching. I was like, someone's got to spit fire. Like someone's got to be truthful here. And you know this as well as I do in the yoga world. There still aren't, but there definitely weren't in 2020, big-bodied Black people with an opinion yeah, yeah. Of, of the male gender. Especially especially men, yeah. Especially men, right? So, so very few, and very few, few, if you look like me. And so I started speaking when they killed George Floyd, and I haven't shut up since. And we're happy that you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> 
When you look at from both ends, and I, I don't know if you have thoughts on this. We haven't talked about this, and yeah. we can definitely pass this question. But I'm just wondering, as you are able to look at yourself, and clearly you have a practice where you know, like the heart's a little closed off right now, need to center around that, or maybe mm-hmm. I'm not grounded, or maybe my, you know, the throat chakra. Yeah. And you're really, that's the framework that you're working from. When when you look at some other folks out there, maybe people that are causing harm in the right. political arena, and from the other end, folks that are feeling really helpless, right, yeah. it, about what to do. Is this a, like a, something, a chakra realignment? Um, like, should we be working with some of these people? Mm-hmm. Well, one, um, I don't know if it's chakra realignment per se, but one of the things um, I talk about and think about a lot is ahimsa, because sometimes you have to cause harm to release harm. And here's what I mean you by that. You can say that again. <laughs> right. So as a member of an oppressed group, a uh, minority group that is like, they kill Black men for sport, my truth may hurt your feelings, but if me hurting your feelings means that thousands of people feel seen and liberated, then I will give you my mala beads and you can work us on you can work on your prayer practice, but like I will hurt your feelings so other people feel felt, seen, and hurt. Yeah. Especially if your feelings are rooted in discomfort. Oh, you make me uncomfortable. Well, you know what else is uncomfortable? Being unable to like have a family because your family is the property of someone else. Like that's super uncomfortable. And that's more and, and what's even more uncomfortable is when a, a country it builds its economic power on that. And then lies about it. That's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when they pass these laws in like DeSantis World or all these other places to ban books, well, if you didn't do what the book was about, you wouldn't have to ban the book. Right. So, right. So, you not being truthful is causing harm. So, I have to quote unquote cause harm to you so that the truth can be seen. And, Mm -hmm. And that, so I'm a servant of truth, justice, and peace. Right. Mm-hmm. Not in a, a political agenda. But to your question about alignment, I think I occupy an interesting space in that. Um, so I try and bring activists peace, peace of mind and peace to the heart. Yeah. And I, for the, those in the spiritual community that are like, I'm just going to meditate and hope the climate fixes itself. So you better vote against like these things. You know, you better get a little bit more civically engaged and less like, oh, we'll just pray and meditate things away. I'm an avid meditator. I believe in the power of meditation, but I'm also a citizen and an embodied human. So to me, there needs to be a synthesis of spiritual practice and civic practice in order for us to stop causing harm to one another. But for those who have no hope, if people speak up in community, hope arises from that boldness of speech. And hope not only arises from that, but people in power get scared. And I love that feeling. I love watching (laughs) people in power get scared because you know that your stuff is built on like false pretense anyway. So you know that. So that's why you try and like manipulate people and keep them scared and all these other things. And the other thing I would say is that so for people for whom they are scared and don't think that there's hope, um, I've, I've had really dark times in my life. And one of the things that got me through is nature. And here's what I mean by that. Like I had a time in my life where I felt really in tune with the book of Job in, in the Old Testament of the Bible. And basically I was like, if the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, the grand plan is going. Like my my particular circumstance are terrible. But like 
the sun rises and sun set and I'm alive. So like this stuff, I have hope it will work itself out because the grand design of the universe is still working. Yeah. Yeah. Nature gives you that big picture. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It helps us see how small we are. Right. Um, And that thing like that nature is going on. Right. Yeah. So this too shall pass. And that doesn't necessarily mitigate the harm that you feel or the traumatic expression that one feels. But for me, it gave me the space to see, you know, the beauty of impermanence. Yes. Right. That like sunrise, sunset, like things come, things go. Like what I feel viscerally and intensely right now is not permanent. Yeah. It's just present. And so doing what I can to remember that things shift and be just open in as quickly as things shifted poorly that they can shift positively or what we perceive as positively because miracles happen. I mean, I I said this to someone recently. I was like, listen, if you don't believe in miracles, like look at my life, first of all, and look at my teaching practice. I've broken all statistics as it pertains to men of color. So if you don't believe in miracles, just like read my story. (laughs) No, I love that. And I think we've got to give people a little bit of perspective because I think in doing something makes us feel less hopeless and helpless. So, you know, whether it is starting in the mailroom. Yeah, doing something, but also doing something together adds to to the alleviation of hopelessness. Yeah. So doing things with other like-minded people, seeing you're not the only one out there. Yeah. I wonder if, is that how you feel when you're teaching? Like, do do people feel like they're kind of in that moment? And do people come to you for that? Or do you have suggestions where folks can start to find other like-minded friends that they can they can do stuff together with? Yeah, so the blessing of um, social media, one of them is that you can find people that are similar to you and connect with them rather easily. I'll share a story. Like, so I was at Summit at Sea a couple of weeks ago and my asana style is mine, right? So like we taught, I taught this sunset, the name of the class was sunset parentheses, go with the flow. So sunset flow, go with the flow. So we're on like deck 17 of this huge Virgin Voyages boat. Sun is setting behind us in the vast expanse of like the Atlantic Ocean. And and I played some music for 15 minutes, but for the first 30 or so, it was all of us warming up together. So how are your shoulders? Do something for the shoulders. How How are the hips? Do something for the hips. Like, let's get some strength, you know? And so did these things together. And then I was like, so here's my style. So we warmed up together. So when I press play on this playlist, which I think was Childish Gambino and Prince, right? So like, I want you to express yourself from our, com- so we wor- we warmed up in community. Now express yourself in ways that I can't cue. And as humbly as one can say this, I'm used to like four or five people being like, that was great. That changed my life or whatever. 27 out of people 27 out of 27 people in that class wanted to come up and like talk to me or give me a hug or something because they were just like, I've never felt so connected to other people that I never met before. And I was like, yeah, because the myth of separation is an illusion. Yeah. And like we warmed up together. So like you may have been doing your own thing, but you were doing your own thing with other people. And that alchemy of you doing what you do for you from, from the same sheet of music. So as a recovering jazz musician, like we did our scales together. Then I asked you to improv. Yeah. Yeah. And so your improv was rooted in our mutual practice. And so 
you're inspired by someone else's expression. Even so one woman was like, I hurt myself and I'm sorry that I laid down. I was like, is that what your body needed you to do? Yeah, exactly. And she was like, yes. And I was like, then that is the perfect practice for you. Well, you're really giving people agency. Right. And um, and that is the key component to healing trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. And then they start to trust in themselves and in what their body needs. And look out world. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Wow. You're really waking people up. Is yeah. that what active peace means? Or I know you have this company active peace. Yeah. So active peace is is twofold. One, my nerdy self did a thesis for my 300-hour uh, teacher training called Spiritual Activism, Serving Humanity from a Sense of Devotion and Love. And pre-pandemic and increasingly post-pandemic, wherever we are now, there is a commoditized, convenient mythology in yoga land where I'm going to get my yama. If I care about yama and yama, most people don't think about that. So it's asana, then yeah. breath work, then pratyahara, then concentration, then absorption, then samadhi. So everyone's seeking this transcendent place, but we're embodied beings. And so active peace for me was like flipping that on, that on its head. So I read a lot of Anadea Judith uh, when I was doing my thesis, where talking about not just the arising of energy, but the manifestation of energy, right? So once you have peace, it's your job to bring it into the world. Yeah. Right. So it's not just I'm going to hang out in Samadhi. You're not in a cave in the Himalayas, dog. Like, you know, you live in the United States and there's a whole bunch of craziness going on. Right. So like once you've got peace, you should philosophically be oriented to share it because that's what is like Svadhyaya, Ishvari Pranadhan. Like that's how this thing is set up. Yes. So one and two, quite literally in March 2020, uh, I had just been a part of the first impeachment of Donald Trump. And I had this plan uh, to basically travel all over. And like, I I was thinking about quitting my job because the impeachment was just so taxing uh, to be a part of because no one wanted it. And then it caught fire. And then, you know, it was just, it was a whole lot. So my plan for March, 2020 was to go from Rod Stryker to Amy Apolity to Sarah Finger and Alan Finger and other teachers that I, I have and I know, and just like soak up wisdom. Right. And just heal and see what I needed to do. And um, we were in Himalayan Institute, March 3rd or so, 2020. I'll never forget this. So out of nowhere, Rod is basically like, you know, some people need to train less and teach more, Reggie, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, stop it. You know what I mean? Like, ain't nobody got time for this because I didn't ever plan on being a teacher, you know, because I was like hardcore Mm. activist. Right. I was like, these these practices are for me. (laughs) <laughs> to do what I need to do and save the Republic, you know, not in the way like my asana is for me. And then, no, so it was for me to be of service. But, you know, two weeks later when the world stopped, I was at a training in Boulder, Colorado with Amy Apolity. And I was the only peaceful person in the room. Yeah. And there are like 50 teachers, most of them like at a $500 level or whatever. And I was just like, oh, Oh, <laughs> this is the piece that they talk about. And wow. And so I was like, if I'm this peaceful, when the entire world is upside down, I have to share it. That really is a sign. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so it was so the day, um, and I, I mean, I came home on the 16th of March, and then was in quarantine like everybody else. But 
I think it was March 13th when everyone bought all the toilet paper for a respiratory ailment. And um, I went into the shop. Um, it was the Sprouts in Boulder, Colorado. And I was just like, yeah, I'm a couple of days behind the the panic, but I just still don't understand why everyone bought all this toilet paper when this thing takes your breath away. And the dude started laughing. He was like, how are you making jokes right now? I was like, no, really, this is what I see. I don't understand. So then I was this, and then I went back to the yoga teacher training and everyone's freaking out. And Amy said I was on Shri, Shri duty. So like, cause I had like, was lighting incense and walking around and tending to the puja and all these other things. And then I was just like, oh, so I'm the, really one of the few people that feel this way. Hmm. It's incumbent for me to do something. So I came home and taught March for Our Lives kids because they asked me. And that's when I was just like, okay, so spirit, okay, I'm, I'm reading you loud and clear. I thought I was going to chill and I can say no to everybody, but I can't say no to, to kids, right? And so like the, the March for Our Lives group, Reggie, can you teach us meditation and mindfulness? Oh, okay. Like Amazing. for y'all, sure. Like and then I was just like, okay, I can't run from the calling anymore. And uh, April 4th, 2020 launched that. At first it was called Active Chill, but then I, that's a terrible name of a Reebok brand from the early 2000s. And so went with Active Peace and started sharing a peaceful practice at the beginning of the pandemic. And it just hasn't stopped. Wow. I mean, were you just a guy who doesn't panic? Like, is that your nature? Because that was that was a very stressful time. I will yeah. not claim that I was super calm. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of bred that way. So my dad used to always tell us he or she that loses their cool loses. Mm. And there's some problems with that to some extent because, you know, like you don't want to like become a drone or whatever. But like I did have a disposition to be in, you know, I was, a, I was a philosophy major. So I've always been like a bit contemplative and very strategic. And the practice of asana and then meditation, then Kriya just expanded that in ways that I didn't know was happening. So remember when I told you I got fired via text message and they asked me for an exit interview and like 10 months prior, I wanted to curse them out. And then I was like, blah, 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 super peaceful. And I was like, whoa, okay, where'd that come from? Similarly, when the pandemic hit and I responded with peace, I was like, oh, so that's what all that yoga asana, that's what all that meditation, that's what all that has done. It's created this capacity for me to be of service now. And then the other part of it too, just to keep it 100, is that like when the studio shut down, there was a place for me. Yeah, yeah. And so the, as a hippie with an MBA, I was like, the barrier to entry is lower and everyone else has withdrawn. So now it's time to advance. Yeah. Not a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> as we see, it's worked out well and people, <laughs> people want what you've got. So um, timing is a part of everything. And thanks for keeping it real like you always do. I think all those things came together, you know, your natural disposition plus that charged on fire from the yoga. You know, I know you have that Christian background and you you kind of preach um, <laughs> the way you talk. So um, that's that's also good. Uh, you have to have some charisma as a yoga yeah. teacher, you know, and like yeah. you were pointing to, there are some people that are missing that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible and, and truly magnetic. I'm curious, and I think the listeners would be um, mm -hmm. really interested in hearing a little bit more about the different parts that you bring into a yoga practice. So mm -hmm. like you were saying before, some people really skip yamas, niyamas, and a lot of people probably don't know about like sound healing. 
how can people incorporate more of yoga philosophy and also sound into their practice? Well, one thing I would say is that, you know, I don't know if it's a derivative of studio culture. And again, I, like, I was nursed in a beautiful studio at the early stages of my yoga career. So the, a beautiful studio is a great place for people to learn and find community. The opposite of that is is causing harm, right? So like, I, I don't, I'm not like here to rain on studios parade. Like there are beautiful environments that I've been in, but I've also had a, a lot of yoga while black, right? So, um, but there is a notion that your yoga practice has to be 75 to 90 minutes. Yeah. And it doesn't, right? And so like when I was super busy on Capitol Hill, sometimes I would only have 10 minutes or five, or like I would wear like my mala, ma- mala beads and people would be like, that's a beautiful necklace. Like these are prayer beads, right? Don't touch them, right? It's like touching a black person's hair. Like, what are you doing? Right. And so like, I would design for myself different practices to meet the needs of, 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 of time that I had. So that's just kind of a long winded way of answering your question in terms of just, I try and bring balance to mind, body and spirit. I talk openly about social justice in my classes, like in the uh, pandemic era. So like 2020 into 2021, I would have, so most people were doing stuff on Instagram live. Like I had a scheduling system that had questions for you to consider before you came to class. Mm, right. Like so that. this is this week's theme. How does this land with you? You know, you, you can't force everybody to answer questions, but a lot of people did. And they thanked me for that. And what they didn't know, and I, I told some of them later, I was like, I'm teaching you Svadhyaya. Mm, yeah. I'm teaching you self-study. I'm teaching you intellectual rigor. I'm teaching you critical thought. You think it's just the four random questions before you get your Zoom link. Like, I'm reinforcing, you know, and the other part too, I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes I don't be telling people what I'm doing so they don't rebel. Yeah, yeah. You, you just slip I mean? it in. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? So like, um, you don't need to know that self-study or... Exactly. The way I teach is Sangha, right? And so like, I, sure, I'm the organizer, but I open it up for questions often because there's wisdom in other people's lived experience, right? So I'm teaching a communitarian experience, um, which is Sangha, which is like the derivative nature of like community in action. And so, so elements that I bring are typically self-study intellectually, but also physical curiosity. A lot of vinyasa classes, you don't pause to see what the body's doing. Yes. So I like, I remember like one of my friends, she was like, I hate coming to your classes because you make me think. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, I'll take that as a high compliment and know that those other classes are not yogic if they don't make you think. Yeah. A lot of people got the wrong message about yoga. (laughs) <laughs> that it's right. that's something they can do to like tune out, you know, and nope. stop thinking. Nope. And I also noticed that a lot of people who do those 75, 90 minute yoga classes, yeah. they're so done at the end of class, they wouldn't have what to give back, you know, mm-hmm. in action to their family, to their community. Like they've spent all their energy on a physical practice. Right. So there's and, that balance too. And you don't know follow I mean? it up with a meditation, right? Because like like some of the best experiences I've had are having a robust a robust asana practice, then playing sound and meditating afterwards. Yeah, even it out, right? Right, absolutely. Or purge the body of stale energy, blah, blah, blah. 
and then be open to receiving something new or being open in that space, right? So I try, you know, and part of it, I can't help it is because I'm a Libra. It's like I try and offer balance. Yeah. Yeah. And the experience of balance. So, like, if you're if you're a political pr- worker who's a virtual employee, you spend hours hunched over in a computer or at a computer station or over a device. I do a lot of stuff with hands and subtle anatomy, and then your breath, and then close your eyes. You know what I mean? So, so the eyes can soften, the mind can soften. I typically layer sound over top of that. So that the brain can be nourished from something other than something that gives it a traumatic response. Yeah. And what are these sounds? I know we've talked about music, but I know you yeah. also use uh, the singing bowls yeah. and gong. Uh, uh, <laughs> several gongs. <laughs> several. Yeah. yeah. Some, somewhere in the teens was it? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've become like the cat lady for gongs. It's oh funny. my gosh. <laughs> I'll, I'll, this thing needs a home. Okay, baby, send it over here. Yes, yeah, so I have a whole bunch of gong. Like, I have one gong that um, was in someone's uh, garage as a door stopper. And it was a Zildjian. I'm like, you have a Zildjian <laughs> gong as a door stopper and only won 200 bucks? Oh, here. <laughs> That's yeah. easy. People don't know what they have, right? Yeah, like those garage sales, those lawn sales, mm-hmm. <laughs> they give away something really precious. Yep. Yeah, but you were there right time again. Seriously. To scoop that up. <laughs> yeah, so the, the sound piece, um so after I, after I quit move on and left movement work in 2021 cuz 4 years is a long time at the front line of saving the republic in general, yeah. especially if you're black. Um and they throw a pandemic in there, right? So like it's just the Trump era and a pandemic and racial stuff. So after four and a half years, I you know, I needed to take a break. So I took a Vipassana retreat and signed up for the two-year MMTCP program uh, as offered by Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock uh, for mindfulness meditation. And that silent retreat was so delightful. And I noticed that not talking for a week, I could smell better. Yes. I could taste better. I could hear better. And in Vipassana tradition, you know, they'll have silent sits. And then out of nowhere, there'll be this. And the way I heard that after not talking for a while, it blew my head off. Right. It was just like, what was that? <laughs> and then so I bought one sound bowl then. And then that has, let's just say, that has appreciated quite a bit. And I have a lot of antiques. And so the one I just played is 350 years old. And so when I meditate or when I play these things, not only is it just like a delightful sound, but then there's the story behind it. Like this thing's been around for 350 years, probably in a monastery. How did you end up in my hand? You know, and just playing and just being in this vibe, the mind softens, the shoulders soften. And some of the bigger gongs that I have, those sound waves will knock you out. I mean, I feel a shift right now. Right. <laughs> you did like three little, you know, what is that? So the native tongue of the brain is waves. It's not words. The brain speaks in vibration. All language is compressed wave in a form that we codify and understand as language. So, and this is the way it was taught to me. So if the brain is listening to a whole bunch of noise and like crappy conversations and or just like, 
And it's not even about the conversations, but like the tone of voice, right? So like the brain picks up on like the entirety of it. So the volume, the cadence, the, the other aspects of it. But imagine, so I used to live in Brazil for a while. And I remember the first time I went to Brazil, had a great time because I went there to help learn the language and do some business stuff. When I got back to the United States and heard English, my brain was like, whew, wow, I don't have to work so hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? So similarly, if the brain speaks in waves and the waves that it receives are like high amplitude, which are like, which, which are frenetic and kinetic, when it hears something like this, it's the equivalent of me landing back from Brazil and hearing English. Oh, it's so powerful. And if done over time with someone who knows what they're doing, I mean, listen, I, I don't hate on nobody who heard a sound bowl and then bought a whole bunch and then it's been playing for other people. To some extent, this stuff is like self-taught. And when there is an element of like, I know that this wave does this, or I know that this wave does this, when there's an alchemy and like an intellectual understanding of the properties of sound, you can do some really amazing things for yourself, but also for other people. That is so beautiful. It's like yoga nidra without the words. Mm. Whoa, I like that. Yeah, I'm feeling that as a like a really clear explanation. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I know there are, you know, there are people who do like soundbow healing for folks individually where they'll like surround them with the different bowls and like and so the training to know like what each different vibration does, that's something that gets passed down from a teacher or it can get passed down from a teacher, but there also there's a lot of science to it too. So you can do basic study of neuroscience. So delta waves, gamma waves, beta waves, theta waves. Learn learning the different states of um, cerebral and ne- neurological activity and noticing. So notice how your brain shifted when all I did was hit that um, sound bowl once. Yeah. Imagine if. You had not only that bowl, but for comparison's sake, I'll, I'll play one of these gongs just so you can hear it as well. So sound bowl is one note. Gong is like an array. So what that does with proper amplification it just gets into all of the brain, all of the body, and you can super chill. And then, like I said, it's like yoga nidra without the words. So once you get to that, that resting space, then the body can do what it needs to do. I really feel like what I'm feeling is immediate muscle release and right. a big breath came in. Right. I mean, I'm also, I'm very sensitive. But it shows that this can um, be transmitted through, um, we don't have to be together necessarily. Yeah, and it's interesting too because um, a lot of a lot of my teaching until recently has been virtual, so I had to learn ways to amplify energy, whether it be microphones or good cameras or whatever, to, to give a good show. So being a roadie for a jazz band has been helpful to my teaching practice too, because every time I hit the mic, it's got to be a good show. Yeah, and your history, <laughs> yeah, you brought sure, everything right? together, right? So, like you know, I remember when I was younger, and you know, elders would be like. One day it'll all make sense. But when? Like 40, <laughs> yeah. 44 <laughs> is when it started to happen for me. So 
people are like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to a virtual sound bath because I can't feel the vibration. I was just like, that's because you're addicted to like your base neurology. Like there's a whole aspect to your being that has nothing to do with your gross anatomy, you know, Koshik study. Yeah. Right. And so part of the reason I think I was a good teacher during, well, in general, but during the pandemic is that I viewed teaching online as an exercise in the koshas. Yeah. Like I have to connect with your spirit, <laughs> your higher mind in different ways, which is the whole aim of this practice. So if I can learn how to do that like quickly, then you can get to that peace place and then you can like nourish and nurture yourself from there as opposed to taking, taking when you can take the expressway, why take the beltway unless you want to be stuck in traffic? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You were thinking, you were the way you approached it is you were thinking, what is the like where do I really want to go with these people? Right? right. And so it becomes less about I have to do these things and it has to be these poses. You're like, where do I where do I want to take them? What am I really right. what parts of them am I really trying to activate and right. access? And then how can I quickly go there? Right. Beautiful. Yeah. Which is pretty revolutionary in, in like the way that um, yoga has been offered, because like if if we are energy, which is what we are, then keeping it energetic and like leaning into like basic physiology, but also basic sonic principles and those sorts of things. Like if if I'm trying to shift your energy, why do I have to go gross? Why like why can't I get into the subtle stuff first, and then when the subtle stuff is balanced, have that bleed? into the gross anatomy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go that way. Right. Yeah. Are you still, I know you're super busy now and I want to talk about some of the things that you've been up to. Yeah. Are you still offering any of these classes online or? Yeah. So it's funny, like for a while, like people were like, I haven't heard about you. I was like, listen, I grew up listening to way too much hip hop. So my stuff is like that underground tape in the nineties <laughs> that like everyone's banging, but no one knows how to get. You know what I mean? So the early part of my teaching practice was like the underground mixtape DJ. Now I still do it, but like I, I have a decidedly counterculture approach. And here's what I mean by that. I send a newsletter once a month, typically at the top, in my own voice. So it's not through like MailChimp or anything, you know, and they're constant kind of like, and that's just not me right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm not, and the other part of it too, like when the patron saints of your teaching practice are Jimi Hendrix and Prince, Baby, you don't beg people for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, yo, it, I have a website. I've had a website since July 2020. Like, it has a schedule on there. If you want to sign up and you opt into the website, like, I mean, opt into the newsletter. I don't beg you to join the newsletter. You opt in. And then, like, I send it once a month and it's a schedule link in there. And some pe so people show up and people don't because like I'm not going to beg you to come, first of all. Second of all, the amount of energy that sometimes people use to hope people come, yeah. it takes away from serving the people that do come. Oh, I, I hear that. Yeah. And it's, it's challenging. I mean, I'm lucky in that I've kept up my political stuff, right? So my teaching practice is not my main source of income. But at the same time, those who do show up, like I, I teach like from the principle of Donna, unless, unless, unless otherwise advertised, like pay what you can, if you can, if you can't pay, no matter, don't worry about it because 
this practice has been so beautiful to me. The universe will take care of me, like for real, for real. Like because you don't go from I hope someone comes to my class to hosting a regular thing with Sharon Salzberg in three years without ancestral favor. You know what I mean? The thing that I tell folks all the time is like, come if you can. If you can't come, don't worry about it. And maybe I'll record it. Um, and it, but if you sign up for it, I'll send the recording. If you don't sign up for it, you missed it. Yeah. Well, I'm getting on that list. <laughs> I'm getting myself on that list. Yes, I'm teaching everything. Um, so I'm teaching until Juneteenth because, you know, I, I got to teach on Juneteenth. I, of all people, have got to do like two, at least one or two things on Juneteenth. Yes. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I'll be looking at your schedule. I want to get on there. And I want, I do want to talk about that. What, you know, a little bit about what you've been doing with the thing that struck me just from the, you know, I'm, I look at things from the, trauma yeah um you know framework and um i just thought this is an area that there is a lot of trauma in our as we age right and because when you talk about you know older people you're you talk about them with a very respectful word right by our elders yeah and a beautiful word and more used i feel like in the African American community and in indigenous communities, right? Um, there's so many ways that we, in white capitalistic society, have pushed away our elders, and right. they are hurting. We are hurting. We're, we're, you know, we're cutting ourselves off from deep knowledge. So I wondered um, if you might share a little bit about this project and how it's speaking to that. Yeah, so it's called Sitting at the Feet of the Elders. First of all, the fact that I get to regularly kick it once or twice a month with Sharon Salzberg is still hilarious to me. Cause it's like, And we did this show yesterday um, on the making of a modern elder. So basically for those in midlife, seeing rather than waiting to be an elder, like using, using the midlife crisis to be a midlife flourishing mm. and divorcing yourself from the notion that your life is disposable and getting more in touch with the creativity, not just for you, but so that you can harvest your wisdom and allow that metabolized wisdom to be of service to other people. Uh, because in, in, our commodi- in our commoditized culture, everything has a lifespan, but not in the beautiful way that impermanence teaches us, right? So like impermanence teaches us that everything is finite, but to cherish it. Like capitalist cultures, like things are finite and like if I if it has no perceived utility anymore to abandon it. And so at bare minimum, we're trying to remind people that anything that has life on this planet is sacred, especially if it has long life. Because that's not always guaranteed, first of all. Second of all, the chance to I still have my grandmother who's almost 97. And I learn something from her every time I see her. And she can't really see like she used to, but her mind is still sharp as a tack. And so she will ask me questions. So who'd you teach today? Do you you use um, uh, lozenges to keep your voice right? Like So she's asking me all these questions. She asked me about lozenges. And I was like, Grandma, crazy enough, I never thought of that. Yeah. She's like, well, you should have one and don't have it be too medicated because, you know, and so just all this stuff and think about the amount of uh, wisdom that we miss out on simply by not having a conversation and not showing up for people simply because we view them as old because elder is not elderly. 
first of all. Secondly, you can be an elder. So in my mid to late 40s, I'm an elder in the political space. Right, right. There's a lot of organizers in the early 20s, right? So that's the other part of the show is that we try and say you don't have to be 70 plus to be an elder. You can be an elder because elder is based on who's around you. Yeah. Right. So just shifting notions of that ultimately with the hope that people see that we all belong to each other and our mutual thriving is a, an opportunity that we have to make the world a better place for all, not just a privileged few. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's like thinking about like in which space am I in that role, you know? Yeah. And when can I take that on, you know? Right. Um, I like that a lot as a model. Like it's not just, it's, it's contextual. Yeah. And when do I get the gift of it? Right. So, you know, when I first, when we first started the series, I was like, I consider myself an elder in training in many ways, but in these political spaces, I'm very much an elder. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope that the young people coming into those spaces are, um, treating you with that respect of an elder and that you have a chance to share your wisdom with them. Well, part of it's on me too, though, right? So like, if I don't respect them, how the hell can I expect them to respect me? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the blessing of having been a high school teacher in the past is that um, when, hot, when, when, te- when teenagers who don't know you and are skeptical about everything serendipitously begin to call you Mr. Awesome, <laughs> you, you know, you do, you're, do, you're doing something right. And so I remember the first high school class I taught uh, civics to this woman who'd been teaching for 30 years came up to me and she was like, I have, to, I have to ask you a question. I'm like, what's that question? And she was like, what's your credential? I was like, for what? She's like teaching. I was like, I've never done this before. And this is the only job that would take me with a master's degree. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, listen, I'm just honest with the kids and treat them with respect and expect them to do the same for me. And she was like, I've never seen this many kids at rapt attention with anyone. And like, yeah. so that was a big, that was a big gift to me because I treated them with respect. They treated me with respect. And so when I offered something, it wasn't like, you should listen to me because I think I'm awesome. You call me Mr. Awesome. So like you calling me Mr. Awesome kind of gives me carte blanche with respect to say things to you that can help you out. Yeah. It's like the, you know, the guru title it makes me think of, you know, right. it's like, that's something that the people are like a person isn't supposed to say, I am a guru. No, <laughs> it no. comes from the people. Right. <laughs> they decide. They decide. So uh, yeah, they crowned you. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's beautiful what you're doing with Sharon. I got to listen to some of that and it was really touching. And I also wanna uh, ask you about make sure we get a chance to hear about what you just came back from at Kripalu because it was a big deal what you did there, first time program. And also because yeah. I'm headed there at the end of the month and I love your reflections and all of that. Yeah. So I still can't believe it happened, right? So like on the week of May 21st through 26th, 2023, we held the first ever healing retreat for black men, men of color. Uh, so it was open to everyone, but it was going to be taught from the black male experience called Permission and Refuge because The two things that people, men of color, especially black men in the United States, rarely get are permission to be them full selves, their full selves without armor or without having to explain themselves, and refuge from aggression 
Yeah. Right. So we just held space with purpose that week. There were 17 at its peak, 17, 19, including uh, me and my co-teacher brothers from all aspects of identity. So there were queer couples there. There were straight dudes whose wives and mamas made them come, right? So um, people with kids, without kids, like ages 23 to 60. So an intergenerational, there were some people who never practiced yoga before, some people who were like, Reggie Hubbard's doing this, right? It's like, so like, it was just like everything from like, who's this brother to, I need to be with that brother. And the blessing of it all is that our joy lit up that campus. Mm, I like, bet. The liberation that we felt. So uh, one woman came up to me and she was just like, brother, I have to introduce myself to you because I've been coming to Kripalu for a while and never seen no brother like walk around like he owns the place. I was like, well, that's a bit forward. I don't think I own the place, but I sure as hell belong. Yeah. yeah. And to have 18 people feel like they belong and to have been the midwife of that impossible dream into that institution, it didn't just breathe life into the participants. It breathed life into their families. It breathed life into the institution. We held a um, virtual hybrid meditation on the transition of George Floyd, and it was so intense, but it had to be done, where I showed up into the main hall of Kripalu with a Kangol, a Run DMC hat, and Adidas track jacket and red yoga pants as the teacher. I love it. And we had Sean Moore, millennial, Danny Angelo, millennial, both Sean and uh, Danny are queer, and Devin Berry, OG Vipassana teacher, as four Black male instructors on George Floyd's anniversary of his transition. So think about the, the alchemy and the, and the magic of that. So on a day where three years ago, y'all tried to take away our dignity, not only do we reclaim our dignity, but we reclaim our dignity as spiritual teachers in the Grand Hall at Rapalu. So for those people, I remember when I first joined Yoga World, people were like, you know, Yoga World is very political. And I was like, you clearly haven't read my resume. Yeah. Right. I'm not worried about like people playing politics with me. Yeah. And like um like you should be worried about me. I I'm sure as hell not worried about you. And to have that level of intention. So I'm going into a very dark moment and forcing us to reckon with it as a as a society. So a lot of white people showed up virtually or otherwise, because racism that doesn't just harm black people, it ha- it harms all people. And for black male teachers to hold that space is not only healing for the teachers, but, you know, it gave people who aren't Black a chance to hear how we think. Yeah. And normalize Black brilliance on a day where, and we also read a list of the names of people that were killed unarmed by police violence since 2014. That's a long list. It was 250 people. It took 15 minutes. It was, and, and uh, I read all the names because I I wanted to, but I also didn't if I'm holding the container, like I want other people to mourn, I'll figure, I'll, 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 I'll deal with my grief later. Mm. Right. So I wanted people to be present and not, that's a heavy, that's a heavy weight to carry. And I knew I was resourced enough to carry it, but I say all that to say, even with the tears and with the disappointment of the, some of the people that didn't show up or whatever, that it happened, that it happened the week that it did. And through the infinite wisdom of the universe, 
the board was there. So the board of Kripalu was there. Wow. And, you know, that's just the timing of God and the ancestors, right? So, like, they bore witness to Black joy in the dining hall. Um, they bore witness to the energetic shift mm. that comes from people that aren't rich and white coming to, to vacation. It being about healing, not necessarily about retreat. That's another thing I'll say. Like, I don't teach retreats. Like, it was important for me to call this refuge so that you can refuge and resource to be at comfortable and be at peace with the world. because. Retreats don't always offer that. Retreat to me is like black people don't have the luxury of disengaging all the time. So we have to find refuge in order to endure because retreat isn't always possible. Mm. Oh, that's really profound. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. We certainly created that. I know, um, as I told you before, a really dear friend of mine, Timothy Lewis, who was just on the podcast. Oh, cool. People can go back and hear his episode. He was there with you, and I wasn't surprised that that you two were linking up. So um, that was a real like wink from the universe moment mm-hmm. to see that. And I love what you're doing. I think Kripalu really needed to see that and feel that. Having been there, I, I know I know that that they, they need that shakeup. Yeah, and it was it was a it was a, it was a shakeup rooted in joy and healing. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing that's interesting, like that I've matured as an activist. Uh, so. A lot of my activist work was once rooted in anger, and rightfully so. You know what I mean? There are systems that like destroy us, and it, it makes you pissed. But what I've learned through practice, but also as I've built this teaching practice, or it has been built through me, is probably a better way to say it, is that if you do something that is fun, rooted in joy and creativity, that is easier to recruit to. Yeah, yes. Right. So I don't have a <laughs> I don't have a problem recruiting the board to talk about this because they saw black joy. They felt it and they felt how they felt when we they were around us. That's so well said. Yeah. You know, I don't have to be like, y'all should do this. Like, <laughs> you know you should do it because you ain't felt that good in a minute. Like your 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 tired ass place had a little bit of soul. You know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> like so it has like shifted yoga practice, meditative practice, and just like the, the the creativity of a discipline practice has given me just a different viewpoint on these things, right? So I'm not trying to force no one. Like I said, I don't beg you to come to my stuff. All my stuff is dope. Jim, Jimi Hendrix and Prince are my idols, so it's going to be dope. Yeah. And if it sucks, it's because I'm experimenting. So <laughs> it doesn't suck. It's just like uh, it's, it's I'm trying something new. And you know, when black, and this is what I said um, without apology in all in all of my public renderings for this class, I was like, when black people are whole and healed, the world changes. That's right. Yeah. So to bring that wisdom and that powerful alchemy to Kripalu, like they're still talking about it. Oh, I'm sure they are. And and Kripalu also offers that really expansive nature experience. Yeah. That gives folks a chance to, you know, connect with that, with that, you know, the largeness of and the impermanence of the natural world. Right. Um, I think that the campus is soothing in that way and and you just took it to the next level. So that, <laughs> I hope that'll be an annual thing. Yeah, we're trying to make it a quarterly thing. All right. right. <laughs> My hope's too small. <laughs> it was so successful that they were like, this can't be annual. Like you like I'm like, okay, well, you know, we'll we'll figure it out. But like it was delightfully concussive in all the ways. Oh, I've no doubt. Reggie, I've kept you 
over an hour. Is there anything I didn't ask you that it's important for you to share to, you know, to feel this conversation closed and worthwhile? Now, I just want to like for teachers out there and for, and for practitioners who are tempted to go back to the same old same after what we just experienced during the pandemic. It's not time for that. It's not time to go back to a, a defunct morality or, or reality. It's time to be creative. It's time to be connected. It's time to be in service to our collective healing and get over this self-care for myself and no one else. Like we all went through something during the pandemic. And so to think that you're the only one that needs healing. And look, sometimes you got to heal yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that there are a lot of people whose cup is full and is so full that you're spilling because you haven't shared it with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. What a great message. Right. So we have to figure that out. Like taking care of ourselves is not for the sake of taking care of ourselves solely. It's so that we can serve others from our abundance. Yes, absolutely. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. That's what it is for. And I also agree that it's not the time to go back to the way things were and things aren't the way things were. So I appreciate that reminder. And why would we want to go back to that? We have an opportunity. We have that window now to move into something new and better. And we have you ushering us in. <laughs> Reggie, where can people find you? So on the socials, I'm at O-R-E-G-G-I-E-G-L-O-B-A-L O-R-E-G-G-I-E-G-L-O-B-A-L, uh, and at Active Peace. Act, www.activepeaceyoga.com is the website. So I keep it super simple. The last thing I'll say is that all in this world where social media has some level of cultural primacy, all of my communications are medicinal, mm. right? So I've taken a bit of a vow with my words, if, if they're external, that it be of uplifting to you and that it be nourishing and nurturing to you. Mm. Like, as opposed to, like, I don't want cotton candy. Like, I, I, want, my, I want my channel to be a superfood. Well, people will be heading there for your particular healing and medicine. And uh, I'll be linking that in the show notes. Reggie, thank you so much for what you give to this world, your perspective, your energy, your truth, and your activism. You are someone that we can all look up to. Thank you for the chance to be of service. This has been delightful. And happy birthday, Prince. Happy birthday, Prince. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.